Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly, where today we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 6, Stormy Weather. Did you like this episode, Vicki? I like this one much more than last week, except for the book (laughs) storyline. Except for what? The book storyline. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I actually, I was okay with the book storyline. I was... Didn't go anywhere. Yeah. I liked this one, too. There were part, just parts of it that I was like, hmm, really? But we can talk about that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll just jump right into it. So. Okay. So we're stepping in exactly in the same place we were when we left off on the last episode. We know that the dark matter anomaly, the DMA, is constructed as opposed to just a natural phenomena. And so they have to figure out where it came from and who did this so they can stop it. To do this, they have to take the ship into the subspace rift that the DMA created, which was a little confusing in and of itself right off the bat, because why? It was difficult to me to understand, you know, what they didn't kind of walk us through how this would be helpful. Did I miss that? Yeah, the only thing that I understood about it was that it left behind evidence and data. Okay, so they assumed that it left behind evidence. All right, you're right. Maybe that's it. They were going to go in and hunt for specks of evidence to help them, which is a good scientific, you know, process. They didn't assume there would be nothing there. They went, we're going to give it a try. But anyway, apparently entering a subspace rift is tricky. Yeah. So they were all, like, prepared for it. And they had had read research about going into subspace rifts by other ships and again we had some wonderful callbacks to star trek that we have seen we had callbacks to when the enterprise went across a subspace rip i guess that was maybe where no man has gone before that's the one with um oh i just completely blanked on his name kirk's best friend who got telekinetic powers and telepathy oh yeah i can't remember his name gary oh yeah gary (laughs) yeah i don't know what his last name was but it was gary I forget what Gary's last name was, but there was also the doctor, Dr. Elizabeth yes. Jenner, I think. That was anyway, so, they all, Kellerman, yeah. anyway, right? so that was, I think, the episode they were referring to with the Enterprise. And then they referenced another episode with Voyager crossing a subspace rift. That one, I wasn't sure which one it was. Maybe the one with the ellipse, you know, that traveled in subspace. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Anyway, but so, yeah, it was kind of cool to have those callbacks. It was kind of fun. And then in a lot of ways, this episode did kind of call back a couple of episodes we'd seen before. So we'll, um, and then I'll talk about that when we get, you know, a little further in. So the captain calls all the crew to their stations and everybody's excited because if they feel like they're taking action to stop the DMA. And so there's a lot of, you know, enthusiasm. And the only person left with nothing to do is Greg. Yeah, I was wondering Which what I, they were going to do with him a couple well, episodes ago. I thought it was weird because how can all crew man stations? Don't they have rotations? Are some people sleeping and some people recreating? Yeah, I don't know. 
There's know. not enough stations for everyone, <laughs> are there? I don't know. <laughs> so I thought that was weird. You know, everybody's gone except Gray. Yeah. So I was like, okay, all right, fine. And so they, they go in and they go through the rift and it's difficult and, you know, they bounce around a lot, but they finally get in and it's completely dark. It's kind of reminded me of the Voyager episode, The Void. Yes. And then it also reminded me of an episode of the next, uh, excuse me, the original episode. I forget what it was called. I think it was the immunity syndrome where they had to go into this dark space and in the center of it was a giant paramecium. And Spock had to like pierce the outer membrane of the paramecium to plant antimatter or something to destroy it. Oh, it's been a while since I've watched original series Anyway, so episodes. that one, I think they had blackness. And there was a Next Generation episode where there was a black hole in space that turned out to be Nagilum, the weird cloud monster that wanted to watch them all die. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so there was a lot of sort of callbacks to those different episodes where we got to see, you know, a void space, you know, place where there was nothing, no stars, no anything. They're not getting any sensor readings at all. Zora's got nothing from outside the ship. And it's very confusing because there's no sounds, there's no stray electrons, there's nothing. So they decide to send out a dot and they're not getting any data from the dot either. And then all of a sudden the dot is destroyed slowly and unpleasantly in a way that they say the dot is screaming, which is really kind of not nice right so right there at some point the dots had some of the spear data so were the dots getting emotions like zora was getting emotions i don't know i agree once the spear data no longer had to hide from osira in the dots and was reintegrated into the main computer of discovery were the dots no longer connected to the sphere data i mean well, they should have been no longer connected to the sphere data that's what i'm wondering if they were still connected somehow or Alternatively, crew was anthropomorphizing the dots because the dots had had the, right. the sphere data. So that's possible too. Anyway, regardless, the dot was destroyed and that was bad. Right. And then they sent out a flare and the flare was destroyed sooner than the dot was destroyed, meaning that whatever it was that was destroying things was coming closer. So now we have ticking clock. <laughs> yeah. They're trying to get out. They can't figure out how to get out. This thing is getting closer, so they tell Book to jump them out. Stamets is in the middle um, of going over the data, so he just wants Book to get them out of the area. And Book tries, and he gets, like, electrocuted by bad mycelial network juju in this void area. And so then we get this interesting sort of subplot with Book where he's being visited by his father, whose birthday it was that day. Right. And his father and he did not get along and his father's telling him he's a coward and he should be finding out who killed his planet. And, and you know, and he there, Dr. Colbert says it's just a hallucination. Um, but, you know, you get to see Book kind of struggling with his daddy issues. Yeah. Which it, got a little boring. When his father first showed up, I thought he was something from the mycelial network. Like, you remember yeah. Tilly's dead friend? Yes. So that's what I first thought. Then I thought it was going to be that all too common trope of the hallucination talks the person into doing things that he was ordered not to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it was none of that. He argued with his father. His father didn't talk him into doing anything. And they came to some sort of understanding, not really, and it was over. Right. And I mean, I guess it was supposed to be some kind of cathartic thing, but it really wasn't. Yeah, but why? It's another giving book a whole storyline that is all about his grief. True, but it was also some backstory so that we so to make him a more three-dimensional character. And I didn't have a problem with that, but once again, it was spoon-fed. You have to acknowledge this. We're going to make a complete separate scene and storyline out of this. Yeah, which went nowhere. 
Because, I, you know, I say they came to some understanding, but they really didn't. He came to the understanding that he doesn't care what his father has to say about him. Right. Pretty much. And the only reason I can see for this, they didn't need this, any of this, was to get whatever that's in Book's brain. But they right. could have just had him have the shot. We didn't need all this. Right. Agreed. Agreed. The other storyline we've got here is now Gray is in the wreck area all by himself. And... Mm. He starts to talk to Zora and learns that Zora is actually having an emotional response to being in the void and is overwhelmed and can't focus. Right. They decide to play some sort of game together. Yeah. It looks like Colbert's going to get some of the help he needs. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And did they actually say the word, shall we play a game? I don't know. Because, I mean, it was like another reference, shall we play a game? Yeah. I'm trying to remember now. I don't know. Anyway, but that's what I was thinking right then. You're going to play with the computer. Okay. Good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't play global nuclear war. (laughs) So because of the game, which helps relax Zora, she realizes that there is something happening on one of the decks and that the hull is being compromised and that they're going to have a hull breach and they try to stop it, but they don't get it stopped. And it's too late to rescue one of the crewmen. One of the crewmen tried to stop it, but then got a J.J. Abrams suck out his face moment. Mm-hmm. So they lost a crewman. And then Zora's all traumatized again because yeah. someone died under her watch. And then there's a whole lot of Zora therapy that happens for the rest of the episode. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka... Please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. So they need to get out. They finally figure out a way to get out. There's some kind of... Did they figure this out because of the pattern in, of the shock that Book got? Yes. I think I, so. Yes. Now that you say that, I think they yeah. did. They were able to discern from whatever was left over in Book's brain from the electrical shock that he got two things. One was that the DMA came from outside the galaxy. Right. So it was not one of their local advanced races, not the Metrons or the Iconians or anything. The second thing they figured out was that there was some kind of breadcrumb trail left behind from when they came in that would enable them to get out if they could follow it. And they were able to follow it using sonar, echolocation, which, of course, I was thinking one ping only, Vasily. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a ping. (laughs) But the problem is, is that on their way back out, because they've been working so hard to fight off whatever it is in the gravitational rift that's chasing them. Their shields can't handle leaving the rift. So they put everyone into transporter stasis. They, like, beam everybody into the buffer, mm-hmm. a la that Next Generation episode with Scotty. Yeah. Well, they do that with Voyager, too. Do they? Uh, oh, yes, yes. With um, oh, that's a, with the a telepaths. Great episode. Yeah. Counterpoint, one of my favorite yeah. Voyager episodes. Great episode. They do it with Barkley, too. Yeah. Yes. In the episode, The Realm of Fear. Yes. Is that right? The Realm of Fear? Yeah. So they're going to put them all in the transporter buffer to protect them. But Burnham is going to stay with Zora to keep Zora company as they leave. She's in her EV suit her, um, to protect her. And they're going through the rift. But it's so bad that the bridge is catching on fire. And Burnham is going to die. And Zora is afraid. And 
Burnham is afraid and Zora offers to sing a song to Burnham and start singing Stormy Weather. Yeah. Which I didn't mind at first until she got all like singing to the stars or whatever with the song. And then I was like, this doesn't make any sense at all. I thought it was great that she was singing Stormy Weather. But then all of a sudden she's like harmonizing with herself and doing her own death cant. And she's like sounding like, you know, a, a pop star. And I was like, why? Why would a sentient life form sing like a pop star instead of just sing for the right. first time ever she's singing and she's gonna sing like that really so that just took me right out of the scene which was a shame so burnham is successful she gets them out they're all re-transported out of the buffer everyone's safe she's safe zora's safe everything is good and now they know they have to go outside the galaxy to find the bad guys right so we should talk about one scene where oh whoa out of nowhere is like arguing with Saru about not doing what he's ordering to do and trying to protect people. Right. And we mentioned this a little bit in the last episode. <laughs> well, now we're going to talk about it in more detail. It was so weird coming out of nowhere. Obo is usually the smart one, the reliable one, the one who's following orders. And then she's all like, no, we should save people. And yeah. then when they're going to beam themselves into the buffer, she says, I want to apologize. I had a friend who died and there was nothing I could do. And it was so out of left field. Yeah. And that's what I meant. They just seem to be throwing these little bridge crew stories in. Right. And some of them are so random. And again, had this come out like, what if at the beginning of this episode, we see Detmer and Owo in the gym working out? What if this story had come out as part of a conversation they had that was just sort of two friends having this discussion? They were talking about stuff from their childhood. This story comes out then. And then all of a sudden we have sort of like we, we have the seed planted that then later can come out and say this reminded me of that scenario i'd been thinking about it you know i'm sorry and then all of a sudden it makes sense instead of coming out of left field and it's a time where you have some backstory that is being developed but in a way that seems very natural right just a conversation between two friends yeah there's this phrase in writing where chekhov the author chekhov said if you're going to plant a gun in one of the first scenes, you better use it later in the story. And what I'm seeing here is that they're they're using the gun later in the story, but not planting it in the earlier scenes. Right. <laughs> so it's like, where did that come from? Yeah. So anyway. But as I said earlier on, I wondered when Gray first got his body, what they were going to do with him. Yeah. You know, he keeps saying he's studying to be a guardian. And I imagine, I think, he was studying to be a guardian before he died. Which makes sense. Because he was right? trill. Yeah. So I'm going to just guess that he's either going to help Colbert with his counselor duties because he is studying to be a guardian. Or, and this is sort of a joke, he's going to be the bartender in that bar they seem to have. All well, of a bartenders do serve a therapeutic yeah. purpose. He could be the Guinan of the Discovery. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's perfect. That's it exactly. We've never seen that bar, have we? Until the last couple episodes? No, yeah. It just showed up in the last couple episodes. Yeah. I'm assuming it was part of the upgrade they received once the Federation got its act together. So people, I apologize. My neighbor is driving around the house with his squad. And I know I'm not going to be able to cut out all of this noise. And that's okay. Life happens. So that's it. Is there anything else in this episode that we should talk about? No. All right. So what would you give this on a scale of one to ten? Oh, I'm willing to go six. Yeah, seven. Six? I'll okay. give, it a, I'll seven. give it a seven. All right. I'm a seven, too. Well, very good. Well, then, we invite our listeners to join us next time when we discuss Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 7, But to Connect. See you then. See you next week. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly, by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. 
The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter, at Ross Bugden. Licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.